morning and happy Tuesday. Today is August 11, 2020. Welcome to Adam versus the Man. We got a fun show planned for y'all today. Although, hard to top yesterday, hard to top some of the stuff we've had last week. It's been an awesome lineup of guests recently, and it's going to get even better today and tomorrow. But yesterday, in case you missed it, we had Alistair Caithness on. And that is, yes, the most Scottish name uh, other than William Wallace, I guess. Um, no, wait. I don't, I, I don't even want to – no, I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm not going to put my foot in the freedom any deeper than that. But no, Alistair Kathness was uh, – or Kathness uh, was our guest yesterday, and I, I shouldn't mispronounce his name. He's been a friend of mine for a few years since we met an Autism Speaks benefit in L.A. Oh, Jesus, like four or five years ago. And what what he was just giving me that that renewed hope and enthusiasm for Bitcoin and blockchain and what he's doing with tokenization of assets in the oil and gas industry and energy is just oh when when and, and you know what I I actually I I know this sounds like weird like I'm geeking out on oh my god I had this interview yesterday with my friend like I'm trying to promote it but there really was something special about that interview for me as an intellectual breakthrough in understanding the potential of blockchain technology and just in, in this one particular aspect, but in short, by tokenizing energy assets and bringing radically new mechanisms of efficiency to that market and directing resources towards where they are most effective in actually creating electricity with the technology that we have as opposed to that process being distorted by the inefficiencies in the market imposed by government, fiat currency, blah, 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 blah. What you, we would be able to get to in a relatively short period of time is like effectively free energy. I don't, I don't want to like sell it like that, but it, to the point of abundance that makes so many things possible that are being kept. And we had Spike Cohen on yesterday as well, Libertarian nominee for vice president. Man, that was a lot of fun. Had a great time with him. And then other interviews last week, we had, uh, well, Roger Stone Friday really capping things off after a great lineup. If you miss it, you know, you can always catch up on weekends. Go back, youtube.com slash Adam Kokesh. Today, we've got Erica Kalanich for uh, for governor of West Virginia, Libertarian candidate. Very excited to have her on here shortly. And uh, then coming up tomorrow, we have our Reboot Cannabis in America 2020 panel. I hope you'll join us for that. Really looking forward to it. We've got some great guests lined up. Don't want to announce it because Marcus uh, Pulis, our guest booker, has got a couple in the works still right now that he is confirming. And then yesterday, I, I had another interview, and, and I want to share this. Mind Your Biz uh, with Nicole and Seth. And, and Nicole is, with, oh, man, I forget her Twitter handle, Nerd Girl something. But anyway, check it out. Um, I, I retweeted it, and, and I want everybody to see, uh, you know, what, what we did for that. Because it was a lot of fun yesterday, and it was sort of like with, with Alice there, I didn't get to ask the question, you know, what, where what, what happened to the enthusiasm in the crypto community, right? And I didn't need to because Alice there, you know, brought that back for me. But, uh, yeah, anyway, tomorrow, and so our trivia, ca- our, our, we are giving away, as, as we are want to do, a membership in the Anniversary Demand Producers Club. And CJ, if you would pull up our uh, Patreon page there, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. This explains what we're talking about here. You can join us for a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, or 
$50 a month. All of our patrons are super appreciated and get special perks at each level. But where it's really at is $10 a month. Join the Producers Club, and you get to be part of our daily, or our Telegram chat. I shouldn't say daily. It is ongoing, continuous, 24-7. The patrons-only Patreon, or I should say, Producers Club-only Patreon chat uh, for on Telegram. Telegram is an awesome app. I, I recommend it generally just as a practical alternative to standard text messaging for text messaging over data managing groups. Not a paid promotion, I promise. But what we do there is we have, like, the editorial conversation, and, and one of my friends who's staying with us here in Gardenia right now, Kim Wood, is there and does an amazing job helping get us stories. And, uh, yeah, so thank you for pulling up the Twitter there, CJ. Let's jump ahead to that because I want to get into this, and then we're going to take some comments and get into a beautiful pile of headlines that we've got set up today. But first, on Twitter, if you're following me, please, if you're not, get on there, twitter.com slash Adam Kokesh, uh, at Adam Kokesh. Really simple. Uh, you, you know, as long as you can remember how to spell my funny last name, K-O-K-E-S-H, you can find me there very easily. Now, it looks like our libertarian follow train is slowing down just a little bit. It hasn't gone off the tracks, not by a long shot. It is still going strong, but slowly right now we've got 864 retweets on this. So get on it. If you're not on Twitter and you you were like, yeah, man, I don't know. Well, you know what? Hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing Twitter. I get the significance of, you know, an individual relating to a corporate social media platform that is, is not – I mean, I – of all the major platforms, most, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, Twitter, in terms of its commitment to free speech, is, you know, uh, I, I think head and shoulders above uh, YouTube and uh, Facebook, at least. And I know it's a, it's a low bar to clear, right? But it's, it's a legitimate conversation. It's a worthwhile conversation to engage in. And if you're not on Twitter, I, and it seems like something that would be that you would enjoy, uh, you know, find me, follow me there. Look, we've got 12 viewers live on Periscope just on Twitter right now. Of course, most people watch live on YouTube because it has a better comment system. But you can comment live on any of these platforms. But if you're on Twitter, that that's where I'm engaging lately. And, you know, I feel I feel a lot cleaner <laughs> being on Twitter as my native social media engagement platform as, as opposed to Facebook or or anything else. Uh, you know, and you, I mean, YouTube, do you really, do you really want to read YouTube comments? If you ever wake up and go, man, you know what? I have way too much faith in humanity today. The cure for that is any YouTube comment section. Yeah, pretty much any YouTube comment section. It's, it's a cliche. It's almost a dumb joke, even when you have a clever joke making fun of. Oh my gosh, look at YouTube comment sections. It's all the, the hate and evil that humanity is. Yeah, it, it is, though. It is. It, it, it really is uh, something else. But back to Twitter today. One of the, the stories that we got sent from uh, someone in our Telegram group, I, I think this was Kim also. Um, uh, CJ, if you would pull this up on, on the Twitter, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll narrate this a little bit, but this is uh, pretty horrific footage. This is from, uh, the, the name is Elijah Riot, uh, handle, handle on Twitter, at Elijah Schaefer. Um, if you would find that, CJ, it's the first one after our live stream today. I retweeted it. The uh, text in this is, Mask police, this woman was arrested in Australia for not wearing a mask in public. This is a first world Western country, being that my wife is an Australian citizen, Family back home share about the horrors 
of this new CV-19 authoritarian state madness. So, yeah, CJ, you get the audio off on that, please. please. He's choking me. So the cop is is, is actually not not just choking, you know, not just restrain. I mean, I mean, none of this is excusable. Not none of this. this. And this is a cop in Australia. I I, I can't tell if they're armed in this video. I mean, I, I want to know. Is, is it like? I mean, he's got these. He's armed. He's got a firearm. This is this is an this is an armed officer. I mean, I don't, looks like a firearm. He's also got you know taser and a utility belt and all this. He's got a, you know it looks like a young woman on the street in public, and you know bystander comes up to to start filming this and says, "What you know? What are you? Why are you doing this?" And he says, "We're not wearing a mask." And you go, are you, are you kidding, really? And I, I don't want to, like, I, you know, as, as a, as a pundit even, but, but as a kind of journalist that I am doing this show, and I, I mean, I do take, what I have taken on with the show is a serious responsibility. Like, if I'm asking you to give me two hours of your time and, attention five days a week i better be providing some valuable information and we're covering current events i'm providing you with a worldview with a curated set of data based on the headlines and what i'm able to gather for information every day presented in a way that is is understandable and and helps you navigate the world so i'm not i'm not here to use this as an example to fearmonger and say, look, hey, because of COVID, you know, if your mask falls off, cops can choke you out on the street. Because, like, you, you look at this woman, and, you know, I guess, I guess she was lucky that she wasn't more seriously injured. But she was taken to the ground on a cement sidewalk by a cop choking her. Like, there's, there's, just, there's, there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for this. And I hate to go back to make the comparison to Iraq and Afghanistan and 9-11, but it's like, even if everything government says is true about 9-11 and Al-Qaeda and terrorism, it does not justify occupying these countries for decades in the global war on terror. No, like, it's, it, it's, it, it, it still doesn't add up. And where we are today with this dark cloud over humanity, I mean, that's how, this is why we rebooted Adam versus the man. It was, I mean, I wanted to do this if, if we, if we didn't win the nomination, like, you know, I would have been doing this anyway, I think, at this point. Uh, we, we wouldn't be as far along as we are without this awesome team with CJ Abernathy producing from South Dakota and Common Jim Freedom joining us today from sunny, very, very, very sunny. Phoenix, Arizona, I am coming to you, of course, from the Freedom Wagon Retro Studios here in Gardenia. But, you know, I, it, was because, it was the first day that Trump started doing his uh, coronavirus press conferences. I, I just was like, all right, you know, I, I got to speak to this. And, you know, it's kind of been, uh, you know, a big motivator for the show so far is to just punch a hole in this corona narrative. And 
it's, it's kind of happening already, but also to help people figure out what's going on. So I, I just want to take this opportunity, you know, just showing you this video. Like, cops, and, and I haven't said this for a few months, but cops in America are right now, I don't know, somewhere, I mean, somewhere on the scale of five to ten times more dangerous than normal. They have a whole set of new excuses for harassing people and a whole layer less of accountability. Be careful out there. You know, and I hope you would take this as an opportunity to adjust your lifestyle. And it, one of the things, even for me, you know, uh, you know, taking it as my job to filter through the propaganda and the lies and understand what's going on, it's kind of hard to get your head around. Like, it really is. And, and if you didn't already have a, a strong worldview, and I, I, I know relative to the average American, I, average human being on this planet, I have an extremely strong worldview, at least the way that I define it, right? I have a, I have a good educational background, at least, you know, in the mainstream sense. So I've got that side of things, too. I've spent over a, a decade, really, I guess, since I got out of the Marines and, and joined Iraq Veterans Against the War, 2006, 2007, you know, 13, 14 years as an activist, self-educating and following the news with an eye to building a, a more accurate worldview and understanding it better. And, you know, they don't teach these things in, in government-run high, high schools. Like, obviously, I mean, they don't even teach basic civics, right? They don't even want you to, but, you know, understanding the world, understanding power and authority and, and social structures and institutions and the flow of, of money and economics, even, even that, like, they don't, uh, you know, uh, economics, especially macroeconomics, the understanding of the flow of, of, of large chunks of resources in the world, these are not things that they want you to know. And I, and I know that relative to the average person, I've, I've had a great luxury, uh, you know, by, by circumstance uh, of being able to indulge my own intellectual curiosity and figure this out. And even for me, you know, I, I look at this video and I'm like, I, there, there's so much, you, you, this, this video might, I might be, I mean, okay, so when, when did this get out? This, this has got one, this was, okay, this was an hour ago. This just got posted. Or wait, was that when I posted it? No, that was the tweet itself, an hour ago. It's got 1.1 million views. You know, this thing could be... You know, an iconic moment for humanity's experience with COVID. And I, I went, like, I, I've had a lot of I told you so's lately. I've told you this, you know, and, and, and probably Thursday again, finally, we're going to get to, uh, we're going to get back to the curve of tyranny and that great Jeffrey Tucker story where he actually charts out, he has the data to chart out what I was doing by conjecture on my artistic interpretation of the curve of tyranny under COVID-19, you know, like, uh, you know, we're going to flatten the curve of the virus. Well, tyranny, you can correct the tyranny. We're going to flatten the curve of that. And I said, it's going to come down and stuff. So you can see that now. But, you know, this is the even, I got, I have to admit, like, even for me is, you know, we got kittens here, right? We posted this clip yesterday. And I hope, I hope those of you, especially in the producers club, uh, but anybody who appreciates this message enough to be watching live, especially or listening to the full audio production, you see the clips that CJ is putting out, and Jim, 
uh, five days a week from this show. The highlights, we do at least four videos. And, man, what, what CJ does with the visual production for this every day is, is amazing. And I hope, you know, we're, we're already producing something that you can share as a, as a way that you can be proud to share this message and, and that we're going to keep getting better with our production and producing something slicker, of course. The big upgrade coming in about uh, a month, a month and a half, you know, uh, we've got uh, the Freedom Factory, the uh, prefab building being delivered here to the Garden of Freedom. Very excited about that. Looking forward to having uh, a, a studio building dedicated. So thank you to everybody who got us to that point. If you want to sponsor, if you want to help out, We'd appreciate it. Send me an email, adam at thefreedomline.com. We can name the studio whatever you want. It could be coming to you from the uh, the Brondo Studios in the Freedom Factory in Gardenia or the John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt Studios, whatever you want to call it. Let me know. Uh, the, the payments for this building is really cool. It's $324 a month. Uh, our, our friends, the Yapels, who do Can We Talk for 20 in the voluntary option, Got one on their property. Got to see it with uh, with Samantha last week. It was awesome, and we're really excited to have something like that for uh, for a studio building here in Gardena to be able to step our production to the next level. And if you really want to be a part of that, please patreoncom slash Adam versus the man. Join the producers club, especially at the ten dollar level. Let's get coming, Jim Freedom here on stage. Before we jump into the headlines, Mr. Freedom, how's it going? Excellent. Yourself? Very well, very well. I see you getting a lot of comments up on screen right now. And for those who are watching live, that is so awesome. I'm so glad that we've got that system developed and let people, you know, interact with each other in the show that way and see that you're watching. Like Ms. Prepper, who says that she shared with a Spike Cohen interview on Facebook. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so that. much. Yeah, so Jim, we got to read. We got to read some of these into the audio record as well for our listeners. And and you know, I I love being able to respond live during the show. And and I, I should suppose well, it's been a while. I should remind everybody that you know one of the greatest things about this challenge that we have of you know trying to predict where things are going and getting a sense of of what's going on in the world is that I have your help. You know, it's part of the the the, the actual inherent nature of independent media on the internet is that we require an active and engaged audience to do what we do and i've always had one and i've always been so grateful especially for people watching live commenting correcting me i mean i don't i don't get a lot of corrections i think my you know my intellectual integrity is pretty solid but i do occasionally get corrected on on going to the wrong source you know or having missed an angle of something or a bigger perspective and having the audience and the producers club help, especially for that, has been really amazing. So, Jim, what have we got this morning? Uh, well, the last uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, I have, I wasn't displaying this. Knuckle Sandwich Dude was keeps asking. He says, in 2007, you published a video about a funny dude in a hole having a sense of humor. The video was recorded in 2004, April 4th. I'm sure you know which one we're talking about. Yep. And wanted to yep. know if the dude made it home. <laughs> That was me. That's what people, like three or four of us. Adam is without you in the hole. You should be home. So I'm sure you're glad to hear you are home. Yeah, you want to see me without a beard? It's like one of the few places at all on the internet you will ever. CJ's got it. CJ does this. It's just such a funny quirk of of my internet presence that uh, this was the very first video. I ever posted on YouTube when I got out 
and I started my YouTube account with the Rock Veterans Against the War in 2007, and I went back to my little archive, and I had just like a dozen of these little video clips from Iraq. I was I had hundreds of photos. I should have taken a lot more video if I had known now what I know if I had known then what I know now. But uh, you want to play the audio for that one, CJ? Because what happened is this thing got in the military humor circuit, whatever you call it, on YouTube, and then I don't know. It's it's my most viewed video. How many views does it have now? CJ, you want to pull that up and actually play play the let, let the audio play for people? <laughs> yeah, uh, Adam, I uh, wanted you to know it's at fifteen point four million views. Woo! I mean, if only I had a a, a red pill. Well, it's not like going to the beach fun or making out with your sister fun. It's more like shoving shards of broken glass up your ass and taking a bath in Tabasco sauce fun. Yeah, so that was at a fighting hole in Fallujah, uh, I, I guess technically just outside the city on the peninsula, right right over the Euphrates River. And, yeah, the background combat clatter, that's that's real. There's, there's gunshots, there's people yelling, um, and then there's us, the civil affairs team, attached to the infantry company kind of goofing off. And I was a huge, I mean, I'm still a huge South Park fan. It's been a while, I, you know. I, I thank you guys for the reminder. I really need to catch up on my South Park. I got yeah, so much TV to watch, but no, South Park is is one of those shows that is you know is enjoyable and worth watching. And um, South Park was something that got me through my deployment. And so that that joke there is actually a reference to uh, a couple of those very early South Park episodes. I hope people got that. <laughs> Probably about half got it. <laughs> you like my shirt? This is how we can solve the world's problems. Let's settle this like adults. There you go. There you go. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, there's so many, like, ways of pointing this out, but I love, hey, next time they want to have a war, it, instead of having a war, how about we just have the presidents of the countries have a fight to the death? You know, and yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, 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 who cares? You know, who are we going to live under? You know, like we're going to accept some some tyrannical ruler. Might as well be less death that way. way. <laughs> so, what, any other? Uh, I, I mean, I, I hope that the audience you know, appreciates my my little, you know, sharing of of the challenge that is, you know, Adam versus the man today that we have that we have taken on with this team, with Jim and CJ and, and Marcus, of bringing you a fun, engaging, but also accurate view and, and accurate and practical understanding of the world. And for most of our audience, which is American, although it, it has always been somewhat international, the more we grow, the more you know, we have an international presence. And I'd like to think that, that while it has, you know, it's from my perspective as a homesteader who lives in the mountains of Arizona, and it, it is primarily for an American audience. It is, it is, you know, looking at the world as a whole. And, you know, even if you were thinking of, of looking at the world objectively, you'd have to look at the American government a lot because it's, it's uh, well, if you call the news, you know, what's wrong? The American federal government is responsible for a lot of it. So even if you don't live in the United States, keeping track of, of the empire is, 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 is a worthwhile way of, 
keep a track of world events. So, um, any, any, anybody have any thoughts on that? I, I hope people are at least appreciative of me, you know, really, you know, and the other thing is the, not appreciative of me, but appreciative of me, you know, explaining, you know, my process and my, my editorial goals and, and my editorial bias in the sense that, you know, politically I'm, I'm a libertarian, I'm, which to me is simply, you know, an ethicist. It kind of transcends politics, but uh, I, I'm looking at the world not just with an intent of, understanding and thriving and self-preservation and helping you as an individual listener viewer live better, but, you know, making the world a better place because I think we're all enriched by that. And, and the most important thing I see is, I mean, there are a lot of things and, and we probably, you know, as we develop the show, are going to be able to branch out more in, in that kind of, uh, you know, coverage and perspective, but certainly, you know, spreading the ideal of voluntarism of raising the standard of ethics in the world, uh, getting past this current phase of human history of, you know, large, centralized, bureaucratic, modern, coercive governments. Yeah, I think that's the most critical thing to moving humanity forward. So that's, that's my focus. That's that's who we are at Adam versus the man. For sure. Yeah, I've been loving the Producers Club. We get a lot of good. I love the... Uh, the group think, the brainstorming, you know what I mean? Everybody talking about, like, we'll put articles up, maybe give an opinion or two about it, but we don't flood the comments, you know, we don't flood the group with random chatter. It's all pertinent and intelligent conversation, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's <laughs> man, I, you, do you know who Daniel Tosh is? I mean, he's kind of one of these shock stand-up comics. Yeah, And, yeah. and he's like, you know, uh, he gets called, you know, all, all – uh, you know, he gets hate mail that's like, die, fag, die, you know, a hundred times. Sure, I can't imagine. And, and he, he's at one of his recordings of his live shows. He's like, you know, someone came up and complained to me about ticket prices for this show. And he's like, do, do you know what would happen if I if I lowered ticket prices to $10? Do you know how many great – you can find $10. I can't afford to stand in front of people who can afford $10. Like, and it's like – you know, and it's good, but well, we can. You know, we can at least have ten dollars a month. You know, you can join the producers club and be a part of this awesome conversation. And it, it just setting that little barrier to entry. Yeah, people who have an investment in the show or have won. So anyway, the contest today, and we're going to come back to this, is you know, name the trivia game. If you can, we we have we're doing a trivia game tomorrow for our cannabis in America 2020 panel. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I, I'm not going to say the lineup because we have a few that are still – a few really awesome ones confirmed, but we're going to wait till we have the full panel to announce that. It should be up on, on social media later today. And uh, we're going to have – we've got a really fun trivia game for planned for after that. So what would – you know, by the way, I, I want to do – at some point, uh, I want to host – uh, a live like reality TV show style contest here in Gardenia, like the Freedom Games, you know, where you do like an episode once a week and elimination, like I don't know, like like a cross between Survivor and I don't know RuPaul's Drag Race and The Apprentice, Fear something Factor. like that. But what Fear Factor? Yeah, yeah, and fear. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely a little fear factor mixed in. Uh, so anybody, anyway, if anybody has any any thoughts on that, we'd encourage you to you know reach out to me. And by the way, uh, CJ, if you could pull up our Instagram page, please. I want to before we jump into the headlines, I want to share. Well, we got a couple stories from Twitter as well. Still, 
or at least one. Uh, but uh, I want to get a plug in for Gardenia for coming out here. If you can join us, we have some empty campsites. We have some ongoing projects. We are taking applications for, uh, I guess, midterm, long-term residents here, you know. Uh, basically, anybody who sort of passes this, the smell test with, with, uh, with me and Sam, so to speak, excuse me, you know, we'd like to invite you to come out here for, for a week-long trial. And, and see if you like living out here um, and uh, if you want to be a part of what, you know, what we're doing with homesteading and all the different, uh, you know, business opportunities. But, uh, you know, for people who want to come out for, for three months, six months, a year even, uh, we're, we're, it looks like the Yaples are going to be moving on to their land in a little bit here. So we're going to be losing them. But, no, CJ, if you would go, go back to that Instagram page. Actually, go back to my Twitter because I have, on my Twitter, if you see the images, uh, there's one that says, Greetings from Gardenia. And I, I want to pull this up and explain this photo real quick, because it's a, it's a really stunning photo. and especially the photography one? Yeah, you yeah. You can pass it, CJ. Go up a little bit. Yeah, especially the one with for the scope on it. who are, uh, there you go. Who are listening to this and don't get to see it. Uh, yeah, it says... Uh, greetings oh. from Gardenia. I don't think this one don't say that. I think you posted that one on Facebook, maybe. Or no, something. it was no, just on Twitter. So oh. if you just on Twitter on my profile. You just look at the images posted or media. Uh, you'll see it because it was in a reply. Um, but even oh. if you pull the one that doesn't, yeah, you, even if you pull the one that doesn't say greetings from Gardenia. There it is. He found it. All right. There we go. Beautiful. Thank you, CJ. So I've been having a lot of fun with night photography here. And someone on Twitter, actually, when I posted this, said, you know, where are you on the boards or something scale? I, I can't remember what it was called. But there's, a, there's a light pollution scale. I said, well, I'm near Ash Fork down three miles. Away. Oh, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you're a two or a three. I'm so jealous because you have, like, no light pollution down there. And this is just a little spotting scope that our, our neighbors lent us. You can see a little tree at the bottom and on the left part of our roof structure. That starburst is not an exploding nova as much as it looks like it. That is a light that just happened to be at the edge of the frame and cast a really cool starburst over it. But behind that, you can see that's the Milky Way. And, and you know, it, it's obviously photo enhanced by the night photography feature of, of the phone that I've got, my, my camera app, the aftermarket, it's called Camera PX. I totally recommend it. It's been a lot of fun. And you can get a, a clear picture, uh, like a better than you would get with the naked eye, but still a no-filter picture of the Milky Way and actually see the clouds of it just as clearly as with any professional photograph. Now, this is obviously a little fun filtered and enhanced. If you go to the Twitter or, sorry, the, the Instagram for the Garden of Freedom, which is our main photo gallery, you can see this unfiltered, the original. Um, on that, if you click on that entry, CJ, there's two photos. Yeah. Uh, and you can see, no, 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 not that one. Um, that one, you go, so that's a gallery that's got two uh, in a single post. And if you click over to, there you go. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's it. So that's the original unfiltered. Still a really beautiful photo. And just some of the fun that we have out here. And I, I love this. You know, I'm I'm a pretty outdoorsy guy. 
and, and I love I just sitting outside at night, you know, watching the sunset from the roof, taking in the wildlife. We got to get a uh, we got to get a bird identifier app and, and catch up on the. We've been doing some plant identification out here, but if you're interested in any of this, hit me up Adam at thefreedomline.com. And uh, one more story, at least from Twitter, um, CJ, if you would pull this up from John McAfee. My friend John at official McAfee, definitely someone you should be following on Twitter. Uh, really motivating libertarian spirit. Uh, I, John McAfee is my spirit animal. Let's put it that way. Um, so his, his tweet here is, I was jailed. Why? Visited Catalonia just before Europe banned Catalonians from traveling prior to return to Germany and were refused entrance. They demanded we wear masks. I put on my thong mask. They demanded I replace it. I refused. Tussle, jail, black eye, release. Yeah, that's hilarious. Typical John McAfee story. But it's good to see that uh, whatever his legal situation is, that he is able to travel, sort of. <laughs> I mean, uh, that he is able to do this is, is, is uh, you know, it's pretty cool considering before he was uh, fugitive on the run. You know, flying in and out of Spain and Germany, um, he, he's going to be able to at least. He's not facing, you know, uh, charges of international extradition. Which reminds me, I have to say this for the record. This is really important, and I'm, I just want to get this on the record for a minute here. Is that I might be currently being set up to be kidnapped by the government from Wise County, Texas. They are telling me that I had a court date for something that I was under the understanding was resolved. And they said, because I didn't show up for my court date that I didn't get any notice of that uh, there's a warrant for my arrest. I said, well, Hey, let's, uh, before that happened, I said, Hey, can I talk to the attorneys involved and, and see if we can just get this straightened out or handled remotely? Like they're asking me to drive from air or fly. I don't know from Arizona to, to basically Dallas area in the middle of COVID, you know, and, when, and, and the, the, both these governments, uh, the state government of Arizona and Texas, has, have, have you know some pretty scary lockdown restrictions. They don't want you traveling. So now they're saying that because of this cannabis misdemeanor charge, I've got a warrant in Texas, and uh, I haven't even had a chance to speak to the attorneys involved. I, I try to get their emails. The uh, court this is happening by email. So the court clerk emailed me and said, "Hey, you missed your court date." we got to schedule a new one or we're going to make a warrant for your arrest. And I said, well, Hey, I don't think this is correct. Let's, let's talk to these attorneys and, and get it straight. Now you're, you're, you know, prosecuting attorneys. And, uh, I said, Hey, can you give me their email address or their phone numbers, their email addresses? She gave me their phone numbers and can you give me their email? And, uh, I responded to all and said, Hey, can we, can we confirm that these emails are working? Cause I've had issues in the past. And it bounced back from the, the, the DA who I was dealing with before and then she just emailed me back and said, hey, there's a warrant for your arrest now. I'm like, wait, wait, how you, we haven't even had a chance to t- talk to these attorneys. We, how are you just going to issue a warrant for my arrest? So, you know, I don't think this is extraditable. I, I, I don't know. But basically, I guess if I get pulled over anywhere in Texas right now, definitely I get taken to, to Wise County Jail and held until I go before a judge for a cannabis possession misdemeanor charge right now. That's what they're threatening. Now, I'm I'm still hopeful that like and, and by the way, I'm I'm raising this now because I haven't heard back from them by email for let's see, how long has it been? 
Uh, August 7th. was it, Well, no, that was when I emailed them last. And this is, uh, I, I'm not going to name names just yet. Uh, I don't need to call anybody out. But it was, it was six days ago, Wednesday. So it's been a week now since I last heard from them. And they just said, here are the emails. Also, please be advised that a warrant has been issued. Anyway, so you know, if I get disappeared, look for me in Wise County. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. And finally, before we go to headlines, follow me on Twitter. Get on the Libertarian Love Train that is hashtag no libertarian under 1K. It is the pinned tweet on my page right now. It has 865 retweets. Let's get it to 1,000. So retweet it. Tag your friend. Get on board. It's going to take a few days, but I'm I'm really excited. This this seems like uh, even though it's slowing down, we are on track. It is going to get us to a thousand, and and that would make me and a lot of libertarians on board this follow train. Very very happy. All right. With that said, let's get into the headline. NewYorkPost.com. NYPD cops don't lift a finger as 11 year old is beaten in broad daylight. NYPD cops had a front row seat to a five-on-one brawl but let the violence play out rather than doing their jobs to break it up. The Post has learned an 11-year-old girl was slapped, punched, kicked, and even shot with a stun gun by a group of five other girls after a basketball game around 7 p.m. Sunday on East 125th Street near near Madison Avenue in Harlem. During the roughly four-minute beatdown, cops sat idly in nearby cruisers, but they didn't get out until the girl was bloody and bruised, a post-photographer observed. Now, there are so many problems with this story, right? The cops apparently used the excuse that there was an angry mob there that, that kept them away. But we're talking about a, a beatdown that an 11-year-old girl survived and a group of police officers couldn't break up. And what's there's, there's a bigger point to be made here, first of all, about what this represents is the sad state of affairs that we have in America for law enforcement and public safety because we have entrusted it to government. Like, I want, if, if I lived in a city where this, this was a, a possible occurrence, I would want there to be a public safety security force that's ready to use force to intervene to defend people when there is a crime with a victim, when there is uh, an actual violation of the natural law. And that's the kind of thing we expect police to do. Now, one of the other things that's wrong with this story is it's, it's, it's sort of implying that the cops normally would break up such a fight. And it's like, no, we've, we've seen this. In fact, the police have fought for this legally, uh, as the Supreme Court has affirmed. They have no obligation to protect you. You could be this girl. You could be her family. You could be, uh, I mean, even if you're not a minor, right, you could be an 18-year-old adult in America and be standing next to a police officer, and someone could beat the crap out of you, and the police officer can stand there and do nothing, and he is not committing a crime. Even though in some places it's, it's a crime is a, is a, under good Samaritan laws. Uh, well, he's not going to get pursued under that. But by the Supreme Court's ruling, they don't have any liability in that situation. They don't have a duty or responsibility to protect. So this you know, at least here's the thing. This is not like 
just, you know, an, an incident out of the blue. At least 20 police cars were nearby on the street with at least one a little more than a car length away photo. So police sources told the Post the young girl was treated at Mount Sinai Hospital after being cut, bruised, and shot in the stomach with a stun gun. The girl told cops she didn't know her attackers but knew two of their handles on social media, sources said. Now, you know, I, I got to step back and look at this from first the perspective of restorative justice, right? Like the, the, these kinds of crimes happen because we don't have a community base or any kind of mechanism really for holding them accountable. The justice, or, or rather, excuse me, the legal system, it's not a justice system, that's <laughs> silly me. The legal system in America is set up in, in such a way that it denies access to poor people. And, and I know this even from personal experience, having had, a, I, I hate to go back to the story, but when I, I got back from Iraq with my deployment money, I bought a motorcycle, and, and I had it stolen from in front of my dorm in, in California and trashed and actually recovered. And I got a judgment for restitution against the guy who stole it and trashed it. Never saw a dime of that money. You know, but, you, you know, that was, a, that was a lucky break to even get to that point. You can't hold people accountable, but if you had, instead of the police, and, you know, there's a lot of room for this to happen now, and I really encourage people to do this as much as you can, if it's appropriate for your community to start, you know, the organizations for restorative community justice so that at least this 11-year-old girl in this case could confront the people who did it. Because they did it on the record. They did it on video. Like, there should be a way for the community to hold them accountable for damages to their victim. And, and you don't have that with the government system. And, and we don't have officers to even intervene in the system. Like, yeah, you, you, what, what are you paying the cops for? And a part of it is this illusion that you're paying the cops for public safety. You're not. You're paying them to enforce laws. They are not public safety officers. They are law enforcement officers. Does the term police describe both? I don't care. Defund the government police, fund community police, fund public safety officers, not law enforcement officers who enforce the law, which is written by politicians at the best of special interests. You know, and this is really what it comes down to, taxation is theft, enforcing tax laws, keeping people uh, oppressed so that the super rich keep getting richer and the poor and really everybody else keep getting poorer. So they said that they were outnumbered, projectiles were thrown at them. They were forced to reposition and call every available resource in the area because there was, there was an unruly crowd. You know, I, the department also shared footage it claimed to show people throwing balls at cops who tried to intervene, although it was unclear when or where the footage was shot, and it does not show the girl being attacked. But the post photographer said he observed no bottles being tossed at police, though he was on the scene after hearing reports of unruly, an unruly crowd nearby some 45 minutes prior. It was not known if arrests were made in connection with the fight. No, why would they? The hands-off approach comes as the police unions challenge a portion of New York City's chokehold bill that makes it a misdemeanor crime to use any technique during arrest that could limit breathing. Really? Really? This is, this is how the... I mean, this is so pathetic. Can, can we not just call this out for what it is? The police are saying... We can't do our jobs unless you let us use techniques that allow us to limit breathing. With all the money and technology, because they don't want to de-escalate. And if you had cops who were public safety officers, who were, who were accountable to the communities that they serve, then this wouldn't even be an issue because those resources would go towards avoiding the situations where 
oh, the city has to pay a million dollars to the next victim of police brutality. That's on the taxpayers. You know, it's, it's like Thomas Howell says about, you know, economic decisions in general. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense for for society to entrust decisions to people who face no consequences for being wrong. Well, that's what's happened with police. That's what qualified immunity is. But even at a bigger level, protection from liability by the institutions of police and law enforcement in general in the United States means that those costs, when they screw up, are passed on to the taxpayer, not the institution. So there's no incentive to do it right. So, uh, you know, even if this were a situation where the police were intervening or would intervene, it's probably worth it that they're not. And I hate to say that, you know, one girl catching a beatdown is worth it. But, yeah, you can weigh that against, say, I don't know, a dozen people getting shot by police or getting beat up by police. Police beatdowns are worse than beatdowns by teenage girls. No, no, I mean, (laughs) I don't know, bold statement, unpopular opinion needs to be said here, right? That you know, what what so the reason I'm covering the story is not hey look at this isolated incident and you know it's funny is you know, we we saw that 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 uh, you know woman in a chokehold by police in Australia for not wearing a mask and in the United States in some places even in New York no not an issue they don't care that people are brawling in the street without masks they're not rushing in with SWAT teams to break up the fights because the people aren't wearing masks no they don't care so the 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 bigger part of the story is, is really buried at the end here. The hands-off approach comes as the police, okay, sorry, no, sorry. Top NYPD officials have also spoken out against the local reform, calling it dangerous, but have denied a slowdown despite video leaking out from a weekly CopStat meeting capturing precinct leaders telling Chief of Department Terrence Monahan that cops were, quote, afraid of facing charges over the law. Over the last month, arrests have plummeted with cops making nearly 60% fewer callers, according to NYPD statistics released Monday. And that's over the last month. This isn't just corona. I mean, this is obviously uh, in in response to that and the, the whole, you know, greater awareness of police brutality around George Floyd's murder in the George Floyd uh, protests slash riots and the, the uh, new resurgence of BLM, Black Lives Matter, as a movement, not the organization of Marxists, but the broader movement legitimately with a grassroots base that is now particularly angered, not just by lockdowns and shutdowns, but the economic manipulations around that. Again, when we say the system is set up for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer, which category do you think most black people in America are in? I mean, obviously most of us, you know, it's like the 99.9%. But uh, in particular, black people have been especially disadvantaged by the economic hardships that the government has imposed with the uh, virus with a lower mortality rate than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis as the excuse. So the, this article you know, really buries the lead here. The bottom, the last sentence in it, cops are also pulling over fewer drivers issuing a quarter of the normal speeding tickets with the city speed cameras violation count holding steady. So it's not just due to a total, like you might say, oh, Adam, that's just because of corona overall activities down. And I'm sure that's responsible for part of it. But 
if the city's speed cameras violation count is holding steady. Anyway, I was going to answer there's all sorts of manipulation around it. They, they dial it down the sensitivity. Now, if you're going half a mile over the speed limit, you got to take it. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but it would seem there is a genuine trend of police backing off, and there is a, a unique moment under this cloud of corona that is an opportunity for significant police re- reform in America. And this is why, you know, I think as, as an ally of the freedom movement overall, obviously not, uh, you know, the Marxist organization of BLM, but the movement as a whole calling for police reform, calling for accountability for police. They, they are, you know, at very least an ally, and, and I think uh, deserving of that recognition, if, if not out, outright support, by libertarians. And I, we see the examples with, uh, with, with Spike Cohen, and Joe Jorgensen, the current Libertarian Party nominees for vice president and president. And as we uh, discussed with Spike Cohen as our guest yesterday, going to these rallies, they are getting an awesome reception. And you're not saying, I'm a Marxist. No, you're just saying, look, I agree that we have a problem in our system because it acts in many ways as if black lives don't matter. And just recognizing that, you know, I've heard a lot of some of the criticism Pandering to these leftists isn't going to get you any support for it. Well, sorry, it is actually. And being able to reach out to people who are you know, who represent the base of the movement rather than discounting them uh, and, and painting them with the broad brushes, you know, the, the people who are affiliated with the national organization by the same name really uh, cuts us off from uh, the good work that uh, we're seeing the examples of with Spike and Joe right now. And as he told us, actually getting endorsed by a lot of local Black Lives Matter associations or, or, or organizations who had no idea who the Libertarian Party was before this. So it is working, and this is a really incredible moment in American history. Underneath the cloud of corona, the wave of police reform that we are, 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 are going through right now in so many beautiful ways. But... We got to look at the same time at the economic hardship. Our next story is from studyfinds.org. Hard times. One in four Americans have missed a bill payment since COVID-19 emerged. Now, I wonder what the control for that is, right? It's not like before COVID-19, every American was paying all of their bills on time, but uh, completely missed a bill since COVID-19 emerged. Uh, Paying off bills is tough for many these days, and a new survey shows that Americans are cutting costs or even adopting a minimalistic lifestyle to make ends meet from our social lives to professional careers life as we know it has shifted since the beginning of 2020 well almost everything millions may have lost their jobs due to COVID-19 but that doesn't mean the bills have stopped coming indeed paying off bills are an avoidable part of life even during a pandemic unfortunately a new survey of 2,000 Americans finds that one in four 24 percent have already missed at least one payment since the pandemic began. Among that group, 26% say they haven't paid their cell phone or cable bills. Another 25% failed to pay for streaming services and perhaps more worryingly, some of their electricity or utility bills. On average, Americans who admit the skipping bill payment have missed five bills altogether. And so there's the, uh, you know, the, the, the real buried punchline oh man i hate to call this a punchline in this story but it's not just because if you look at you know one in four have missed a bill you know at least one bill you go oh okay 
well, well, you know, normally, you know, I'm, people miss bills every now and then, not, you know, not that big a deal. But the big deal is that of that 24%, on average, Americans who have, who admit, admit, they're probably a bunch who haven't admitted it or put bills off and don't call that skipping a bill, right? Five bills on average they've missed altogether. Commissioned by EnergyBot, the survey set out to gauge just how much COVID-19 has dealt a blow to Americans financially. Predictably, money is a big concern these days. In fact, 63% say they're always worried about paying all their bills right now. Similarly, 58% are battling extra stress over their bills since the pandemic started. So, yeah, uh, 65% of respondents admit they've had to make some sacrifices lately to make ends meet. And so, you know, this is the kind of thing where, you know, the economy, as if you would describe it as a you know, pattern of behavior that determines you know, the flow of certain crackable resources of value, a lot of it is just based on on habit, and when and, and it's very fragile. You know, you break those habits, they're hard to to get back, and uh, we are still. I mean, you know, there's this, oh, we're going to have a V-shaped recovery, we're going to beat the virus, and then you know, every all no, uh, we've covered so many stories, like even just yesterday, where USA Today says that half of the jobs lost are gone permanently because it's not going to come back because there are, you know, just, and, and some of this is positive long-term shifts, right? Like away from the, the inefficiency of in-person retail towards more online commerce. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing overall for the efficiency of the market of the world of, of just humanity being able to deliver more goods and services overall. You know, that that's a positive shift. People working remotely, Instead of wasting the resources in commuting, that's yeah, that's that's a good thing. But the being forced into that, as opposed to you know letting it take its course naturally, is leading to a lot of hardship. So it's hard to say that oh, if we just we just get the vaccine, you know, we're going to have a V-shaped recovery. First of all, even if we had that, it wouldn't be a V-shaped recovery. It would be a long, you know, slow incline back. And really, we're not going to see that until we see a real break from the uh, the red market, you know, what they call the white market today, the market that is dominated by the violence and coercion of government, as opposed to the black market, which in many ways, in terms of what defines it by itself, is the peaceful market. Yes, because of government, there's a lot of violence around the black market, but that is the peaceful, the non-coercive market. Until we have, you know, that, that full bifurcation, that real split and momentum of the black market outpacing the, the, the white slash red market, then, you know, we're going to see this recovery as a fake or a very slow one because what we've had is a forced shutdown of the economy and a reboot under new ownership with consolidated wealth. And we see this in the real estate crisis with properties being sold off. And it's not even that. Like, it's not even that. And what I want to point out about this story is not just that, hey, look at this bills aspect of it. But when it's the sacrifices, many have canceled subscription services, 38%, gym memberships, 39%. Others are cutting costs by no longer ordering takeout food, 35%. All in all, 52% they said say they only buy the essentials these days. So it, it's not just those who are in the forced unemployment status. It's everybody who's scared and cutting back on their spending and getting to a more, you know, savings-oriented lifestyle. And it might be, again, a good 
shift long term, but it comes with a lot of unnecessary contractions. And a, a lot of what the government has been doing is really holding back this development, keeping us in a, in a, in a, a stunted uh, state of arrested economic development where we're not able to realize our potential because we entrench through subsidization. Like, why don't we have more solar? Why don't we have more alternative energy? Who killed the electric car? Great documentary if you haven't seen it. It, it, we would have electric vehicles, we would have alternative energy, but no, we had to have the government subsidize the oil and gas industry with intellectual property. And with the road, well, we have to have the government build the roads. Why? Why? Why do we have to have the government subsidize infrastructure for a particular set of industries? And why? Uh, if, if we didn't, we wouldn't have that entrenchment, and we would have the natural economic flexibility to develop around new technologies. We'd be a lot further along than we are now. But now that we're getting away from the the spending, you know, the borrow and spend nature of the economy to a lot more save and invest, and it's, it's not even invest. I mean, invest will be good, but it's people being afraid out of spending, scared into, uh, into a more, you know, uh, conservative economic uh, sort of lifestyle in, in order to be more protected, to be safer. Because, you know, even if you do have your job, I mean, I don't think there are a lot of, uh, yeah, it, it's a really funny thing to experience now where there, there's a big chunk of the, the, the country whose jobs are, you know, pretty secure. But even then, for how long? And I think there are a lot of people, you know, who go, well, I, my job is secure, but my backup plan was I would go wait tables. That's not a thing anymore. Your backup plan might be completely just not viable, sorry, gone. And all of these restrictions across the economy, the big point I'm getting at is that even if all of the, the, the forced shutdowns that we're experiencing right now were lifted, you know, we got the vaccine and everybody was safe because, oh, my God, Bill Gates came to the rescue, right? And actually, it's Russia now. We're going to get to that story about the vaccine coming out of Russia potentially now. But, if, you know, there's this hypothetical possibility of a V-shaped recovery, which we know would be more like a check mark with a long, you know, recovery that's not even possible because there's so much downward momentum still right now. And who knows with where the dollar is going, losing purchasing power with inflation. But, you know, a lot of these upheavals are still being recognized, are still coming to, to manifest. The uh, unemployment crisis was just the first economic cliff because now it's the uh, evictions crisis, right, that we're, we're going to start seeing in phases. But then it's all the, the clo- I mean, the closing of businesses, you know, and, and, and there's so many stories about this now, taking stock of how many even major retail outlets uh, are just going belly up because they're, they're looking ahead and going, you know what, six more months? No, we're just going to liquidate. And, you know, even trying to tally the economic costs at this point is, is, is uh, it's not really possible. I mean, you'd have to project so many other things for where this is going and, and factor in you know, so many other externalities and negative costs uh, that are the byproduct, not of the virus, but of the government response and economic restrictions. So the last section in this article is rating retirement to pay off bills. A third of Americans have also been forced to dip into their savings account because of COVID-19. On that note, 55% of respondents often feel overwhelmed by just how much the coronavirus has changed their financial footing. So, you know, even for the People who haven't missed a bill, a lot of them haven't missed a bill because their savings is gone now. Uh, they, they were dipping into their savings, and so there's this whole other 
you know, downward momentum wave of economic restriction coming as Americans start to hit the ends of their savings accounts, getting the cash out from underneath the mattress, selling off the silver and gold. And it is, it's a scary time for a lot of people. So be ready and, and make those plans. And so maybe this is the, you know, the sort of theme or the takeaway for, uh, you know, for, for this show is be prepared. You know, as the Boy Scouts say, be prepared. Okay, there's a great uh, Tom Lair song parodying the Boy Scouts, Be Prepared. Don't worry, I'll spare you. We won't sing it for you today. But that's worth looking up to if you want a good laugh. But, yeah, no, be prepared. And, and you, you know, it, I've been telling people this as a general lifestyle thing, and I've embodied it here. And, and you know, it still sucks for us here in, in Gardenia to be limited in so many ways by this. But, hey, I get to do this show. And, and because people like you watch and share uh, our, our content, you know, I'm able to – I have this other, you know, means of, of supporting myself and, and, and my, my wife and, and, and people here at the Garden. You know, we have the – we have Big Igloo geodesics. We have other things that we can do to survive and, and to make money that, that don't depend on – the, the bigger economic system being, you know, being healthy. Although even then, those things, you know, these contractions, the lower economic activity across the country uh, doesn't impact everybody negatively. So be prepared, whether it's, uh, you know, have, have a way of feeding yourself, a way of living off grid, being self-sustaining, whatever the case, having a, just at least having a bug out plan. You know, if, if you're getting that Corona release money, spend it on making sure that your vehicle is taken care of and you've got a bug out box and you, you know, whatever it is that you need for your situation, uh, you know, take this moment. It's August. I've been telling you this for years, but spe- specifically with what we're facing now for months. This might be your last chance. And certainly the longer you wait, the harder it gets. So be prepared. All right. If our guest is waiting uh, let's not keep her waiting any longer. Very excited today. Do, CJ, do we have our guest available? Hi. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Erica Kalinich. Is that how you say your last name? Very close. It's Kalinich. Kalinich. Okay. No, I have. Well, I have. I have the. Uh, I have a similar challenge. That the problem is when people mispronounce my last name. It can sound lewd very easily. You're lucky you don't have that problem. But all right. Erica Kalinich is a libertarian candidate running for governor of West Virginia. Her website, Kalinich, and that's K-O-L-E-N-I-C-H-4, F-O-R-W-V dot com, is a great website. It says Maximum Liberty. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today on Adam versus the Man. Tell us about yourself and, and how you got into this race, please. Sure. Well, um, I'm not a politician. I feel like most libertarians say that's the first time they're running. Um, I was an independent, actually, until a few years ago, and my husband ran for attorney general in West Virginia um, as a libertarian. Uh, so through that, I got to meet a lot of people involved in the movement here in West Virginia and um, the person who had gotten us ballot access by petitioning and then by um, getting the requisite number of votes in the governor's race. And he was very inspirational to me. Um, his name's David Moran, and he just explained libertarianism and liberty and freedom in a way to me that no one else really had. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not an independent. I'm just a libertarian, and I didn't know that. So um, I decided to pick up his um, lead and run for governor. It's our ballot access race. So it's a 
it's certainly a big splash, a big way to jump into the Libertarian Party and being a candidate is running the ballot access race, but it's been a lot of fun. Okay, so for people who don't know what that means, just for our, our not-so-politically savvy members of the audience, what do you mean when you say the ballot access race? Is this, this is the goal the party wants to get behind you to get a certain percent so we don't yes. have to fight for every other candidate to, to file? That's correct. So in West Virginia, whether or not libertarians can be a recognized political party, whether or not um, their presidential candidate or, you know, down to their city council candidates can be on the ballot here in our state um, depends on one race. And that is the governor's race in West Virginia. There are no are no other avenues to that. So in order to make sure libertarians stay on the ballot in West Virginia, we have to get one percent in the gubernatorial election. Well, you know, that's actually relatively reasonable compared to a lot of things that the government does to keep or the duopoly does to protect itself from competition with the Libertarian Party. So that, that's that's a very, uh, you know, noble thing to do to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to put my uh, I don't want to say life on the line because we're past that phase. You know, we're very lucky to live in an age where you can say, you know, down with the king and, and not have your head cut off. Right. Right. Uh, and that, that, that is kind of what we're doing as, as the Libertarian Party, right? Challenging yes. the, the heart of the current authority structure in the world and, and in the United States. So, the, you know, aside from that, what are your bigger goals with this campaign? My my goals are really to just let people know there are other options out there. West Virginia, you know, most of our population here is very older, um, and they've only ever known Democrats or Republicans, and they don't even really have a good handle here on what the modern-day Democrats um, and Republicans are. They just think they remember the days where wealthy people were Republicans, and if you were a working-class man, you were a Democrat, and um, if you're if you're a Christian, you're a Republican, and that's really about it. They don't they don't understand that there are other options out there, and they don't really see that the two parties are the same thing. So really through my campaign, I'm just hoping to spread awareness to let people know in our state it doesn't always have to be this way, and there are other options. Um, I heard you right before I came on um, talking about energy, and, you know, West Virginia is a coal, an oil, and gas place, and that's all they know here. So Republicans and Democrats just continue to promise the same things about those industries and how we're, you know, we're going to uplift those industries and, and, and that's going to carry us through. And that's, that's really been detrimental to people because they cling on to that and they don't have any other option. So I'm really just running to let people know that things can be different. There are other ideas out there. There are um, things other than red and blue. Now giving you the, uh, you know, heads up sort of warning here to put your politician hat on. And be as politically correct and nice and, and butt-kissing of your constituents as you possibly can. Is is West Virginia a, a libertarian, you know, leaning state? Is there a strong libertarian spirit there where you're just able to kind of tap into that and, and unleash it as a libertarian candidate? Or, or do you have more of an uphill battle fighting a, uh, a statist paradigm there? Well, it's it's a little bit of both. I will say West Virginia more so than some other places is very libertarian. Actually, our state motto is Mountaineers are always free, uh, which is is very helpful running. It would be nice if it were true. (laughs) It would be it would be super nice if it was true. But a lot of people here um, do do like the idea of small government. They do like the idea of 
government not telling me what to do. They just don't understand practically how that's applied. So it has been easier maybe than it would be in some, you know, some jurisdictions bringing the um, small L closeted libertarians out and letting them see the sunlight and um, see that they can become a registered libertarian. It is a little bit difficult right now because West Virginia is Trump country. Um, people from West Virginia all right, hold on, Erica. We had a we had a little static on the line there. If you could just back up two sentences for us, please. I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, CJ, are we are we losing the connection with Erica here? Yeah, let's give it just a moment here and let her catch back up on the leg, and then I'll get this out post production. Obviously. All right. No worries. Thank you, CJ. Uh, Eric, if there's anything you can do to adjust your signal, or you did, you have any suggestions? Yeah, she can. Uh, she can just uh, log out, log back in. If, uh, yeah, so, Eric, go ahead and come out of that. Oh, she's not even hearing us. Erica, are you there? Can you hear me now? Uh-oh, all right, so hopefully she's yeah. just logging. We'll, we'll, we'll get this outpost for All right, cool. I'm going to dance. I'm going to do the eyebrows dance. No, okay, so let's see. Uh, how about we can let everybody know to go to patreon.com for Yeah, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man, and then we'll get better internet for all of our guests all over the world. No, actually, it's... Hey, you know, still click the link, and she can still come back in. It's still a good link, hopefully. Oh, yeah, okay, that. great, great. You know, so I'm just... Uh, you know, I want to take this opportunity to, to bitch about Internet in America because we live in the USSA, United Soviet States of America, which is now sliding rapidly towards a third world country where even Internet service is uh, spotty and we can't have. I mean, you think, you know, you think that like we're I think Americans, a lot of us assume uh, we're first world. We're like like leading edge, cutting edge of, of, of all of uh technology and then you look at some of these other countries in, in Asia even just Japan uh South Korea and you go wow uh we suck <laughs> yeah anyway but uh, there are a few more points I'll share from this last story we were covering about Americans missing bill payments no no um no, we'll get to that later uh Erica's back so all right Erica all right Erica if you can hear me now hey. all right all right, so you can go right yeah. back to where you were. I think you got caught up when you were saying that West Virginia is Trump country. So if you could just take it from there, that would be awesome. Sure. So our current governor, Jim Justice, was elected as a Democrat. Um, six months in, flipped to a Republican, um, brought Donald Trump to West Virginia, made this big deal about it. And so West Virginia, they just really love Donald Trump. And because because Jim Justice is in Donald Trump's camp, Sometimes the difficult part is not not talking to them about libertarian principles, but convincing them that they can vote for me and not Jim Justice and get them out of their their Trump mentality. So issues wise, you know, your website, you have a page you're talking about gun rights and ownership, health care, criminal justice reform, taxes, environment, Education. Why are those the ones that, that you're choosing to use to connect with voters in West Virginia? 
Well, those seem to be the most important things to voters in West Virginia. Um, first of all, in terms of gun rights, you know, we are a hunting state. A lot of, lot of folks here hunt. It's part of our culture. Um, our state seal actually has two muskets laying at the bottom of it underneath the mountaineers who founded our state. So gun rights are really, really important to people here. And, um, it's, it's just something that people are scared about. I mean, anytime you talk about red flag laws, um, anytime you talk about um, any types of limitations on the Second Amendment, uh, West Virginians don't like that. And I don't support any limitations on the Second Amendment. So it's important to let them know that. Um, healthcare is a big deal here in West Virginia. We, because we're a very rural state, you might have to drive an hour to an hour and a half to get to a hospital. And a lot of smaller hospitals are closing um, the reason that they're closing is, um, as I'm sure you know, the lack of a free market healthcare system has forced them to operate within the confines, really, in West Virginia of Medicare and Medicaid patients, which um, often isn't enough to keep them running. So we do have a bit of a healthcare crisis here in West Virginia in terms of our rural hospitals closing. And those are there are things that West Virginia really needs to get ahead of. Um, and their, their problem, the healthcare problem is a problem that is unique to West Virginia be, because of our landscapes. I mean, like I said, you may drive 20 miles and it's going to take you an hour and a half because of the twisty, windy roads. So it's really important that we support the healthcare industry and make sure our hospitals here stay open. So, Erica, I, I want to turn to a bit more of a, a personal question here. It, Believe it or not, you and I have, have an sort of ironically similar educational background. Uh, you know, I, I you double majored at Wesleyan College uh, with in, in dramatic arts and political science. Uh, I, I mine was psychology and government, but uh, I, I did a lot of theater. People don't know that. Like, I, w- I was a big theater geek growing up. I, you know, every year in from from even elementary school, middle school, high school, college, I was in some major theater production. So I you know I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but you know you attended law school at the University of Akron. Uh, you know a lot of people, a lot of my uh, a lot of my elementary school teachers said, Adam, you're really good at arguing. You're going to grow up to be a lawyer, aren't you? And uh, but but what's what's the dramatic arts element to your background? How's that relevant to what you're doing now? Sure. Well, um, as you noted, my training is in theater, so it certainly makes it easier to talk to people. Um, if I get nervous, I just play character and it all goes away. It, it's um, so it's, you know, and it's left me as a trial lawyer, which is what I do now um, during the during the day when I'm not running for office to pay the bills. I'm a trial lawyer. So it's made it easier in that regard in terms of the public speaking um, I'm still very, very actively involved in theater. As a matter of fact, um, when I first thought about running, one of the things I was nervous about was um, for three years, I was Janet in the Rocky Horror Show, the live version. So I thought, oh, my Janet, gosh. Janet. Yeah, right? I thought, awesome. As soon as I tell people I'm running, the pictures of me in my costume or last <laughs> are going to be all over the internet. <laughs> that hasn't happened, so that's good. But um, I'm still very involved in theater. And I think, you know, on on a more serious note, what it has helped me understand is that there are so many people in West Virginia who are looking for 
um, an artistic outlet, a place where they feel like they belong. And through the theater, I'm able to create that and bring different types of people together, which I think will serve me well as governor of West Virginia. Well, you know, you're, you're not just a lawyer, the managing member of, of a law firm focusing on employment litigation. And, you know, when I think about American politics, the first thing that comes to mind is we really need more lawyers involved. Uh, do you, do you get, you know, do you get any heat for this? I mean, as a libertarian trying to stand out, like, I mean, part, part of this for me is like, wait, we have, we have like serious people with real careers, not just crazy performance artists running for office as libertarian. I, I know we've always, but I'm, I'm excited that we have someone who brings, you know, that, that professional credibility to the race. But, you know, as, as, as an attorney, is there, is there some, how does that play and in, in, in how you're received? Well, I don't, I think a lot of people are very supportive, which is nice. I mean, obviously the question I get asked the most is, well, why are you wasting your time running as a libertarian? Why aren't you running as a Republican or why aren't you running as a Democrat? And my answer is because I'm not a Republican or Democrat, so I'm not going to run that way. Um, so I do think because the law industry is, you know, fairly involved in politics in terms of the legislature, laws that get passed, um, laws that don't and things of that nature, um, a lot of people just assume because I represent plaintiffs that I'm going to be a Democrat. So I would say probably the most heat that I take is from um, people in the industry who think that if I'm going to run, I need to be a Republican or a Democrat and explaining to them why I would spend time on the Libertarian Party and why that means something to me. So it does get a little bit awkward sometimes, but for the most part, people are supportive. And I feel very good. You know, the Libertarian Party is the only party growing in um, West Virginia, the only one. We grew by 2% just last month, which is fantastic. So I would like to think that by running and talking to lawyers and professional people, hopefully I'm bringing more people into the party. No, that's great. I, I, I mean, what you're doing, it's kind of like, we got someone on the inside and she's bringing more. I mean, you've kind of, it's like you've already defected. I mean, it sounds like the, the, the pushback you're getting is not so much from constituents. They're used to lawyers as politicians, but from the rest of the legal cartel, is that, is it fair to call it that the, the legal establishment at least doesn't like that you're breaking with. Hey, Hey, if you're running for public office as a lawyer, you're supposed to be running on strengthening the position of lawyers and, as a libertarian, you're kind of by definition doing the opposite of that, right? That's exactly right, yeah. So what would you say to uh, to, to people who are, are considering volunteering for your campaign right now, people in West Virginia, why should we support you? Why does this represent a, a unique opportunity for the Libertarian Party right now? Well, it, right now in West Virginia, we're just positioned um, as libertarians to do so well. If you needed a better example of, of you know, Republicans and Democrats being the same thing, our current governor was elected as a Democrat. He is now running as a Republican, and nothing about him has changed. He's the same person with the same policies. So if you, you know, it, it, we are poised. To do well, um, people are clearly getting frustrated and are clearly seeing in West Virginia that the two parties are the same thing, and they're looking for an alternative. So, if you want to help me, let them know about me. And that's the biggest thing in West Virginia, right? Is that normally the way that libertarians campaign is we're out there at fairs and festivals and parades and 
We don't have those right now in West Virginia. Everything is shut down. So our current governor gets all the TV time he wants because he does a press conference every day. Um, his Democratic opponent, my Democratic opponent, is a millionaire, so he just pays for all the TV ads he wants. So I think that to know me is to want to vote for me. So I would love to have volunteers that just help voters get get to know me and understand that I'm running. So I would love volunteers. Awesome, awesome. Erica, and uh, what what else, uh, other than your website, how do you want people to be able to, to connect with you? People can connect with me on Facebook. Um, that seems to be the platform that people like the most. Um, so they can check me out on Facebook at Erica Kalenich for Governor of West Virginia. Um, you can message me there. And um, when I'm not in court or representing folks, I'm normally pretty good at getting back to people. So I'd love to hear from anyone who just has a question or wants to know how they can help or just wants to tell me something they think I'm doing wrong. I mean, I'll take criticism. I'll take any communication you want to give me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Erica Kalenich for West Virginia Governor. The website, Kalenich, Kalenich for forwv.com. Check her out. Sign up. There's a contact us there, if, especially if you're in West Virginia or any of the neighboring states. This is a race worth getting behind, a candidate who can represent the party well. Again, Erica, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate your time. All right, that was a lot of fun. Before we get back to the headlines today, Jim, do we have any comments worth bringing up here for the uh, for the rest of the audience? And do we have do we have any contestants? Do we have any or suggestions for what we should call the Adam versus the Man trivia game that we are going to be premiering tomorrow with our Cannabis in America 2020 panel? No questions as of yet. Uh, 1054 says the law industry is a frightening phrase by itself. I kind of agree with that. wonder if we could figure out a different name for that. <laughs> well, no, the law industry, if you say, if you call it that, like it should be scary <clears throat> because it's, it, 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 it's a perversion of what, you know, the law should be. But if you, if you want to call it an industry, it, it really should be, like the justice services industry or the public safety yeah. industry or, or the arbitration you know. industry. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you for, for rounding out my, my answer there perfectly. Yes. Is another example, uh, dispute resolution services, right. Is, is, is arbitration or in, uh, you know, property protection or, you know, things like that or insurance, right. Would handle, you know, a lot of these functions as well. And it's, it's just law and you go, Oh, yeah, that's, that's not what we need. Um, but yeah, to have to have we got a lawyer on our side. We got some, you know, and that's that's really cool. And I think um, I would generally encourage people, you know, if you're if you find yourself, uh, you know, we have a lot of young people who watch this show. Uh, maybe if you're in college, you have better things to do than listen to me two hours a day. I mean, really, if you're in college, remember, there's a time and a place for everything, and it's called college. But uh, if you if you happen to be finding the time to tune into Adam versus the Man, and and you find or you know and for people who are listening, if you know someone in your life who's a libertarian who is who is kind of stuck in you know the, the undergrad government racket and they're getting a, a, a degree in underwater basket weaving or you know 16th century French poetry or, or some other such you know useful thing that's going to give the, you know give them a lot of debt and no marketable skills. 
you know, you know, hey, well, you're you're already on that that education track. You know, go to law school. You know, I, I think you know they're better. They're you know, if you can if you can figure out the way for yourself to pass the bar and be a you know licensed attorney without going to law school, even better. But you know, if you if you, if you three years, uh, you know, and and there are a lot of reasons that you know uh, that going to law school does make sense. You know, like if you got to be a doctor, and it's not that. I'm endorsing this. I mean, there's so many things wrong with this, but you, you want to be someone on the inside who can help reduce the viciousness Damage. of the system. Yeah, yeah, alleviate the suffering as an attorney. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Excuse me, even as a paid attorney, making making a good living, you know, turning the guns of government away from people. You're providing a real legitimate service that you can't do a lot of other ways. And, you know, if, if there, there are a lot of other activism opportunities that open up for people. If you have a law degree, if you're a practicing attorney, that, that you don't have if you're not. And so, I, I, you know, I would recommend people to go that or at least explore that possibility. Jim, any other, uh, any other uh, comments or questions? One more I want to share here. Uh, I'm a statist. He says, funny, I was talking to someone about Joe J yesterday. They brought up the rabies. I was able to counter with. If your only concern is rabies against two potential sexual predators, not too bad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we might have a president with rabies. <laughs> that's really yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you know, maybe you know one of the things too is we develop Adam versus the man. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, we have this exciting trip plan, and it looks like we might be going to San Francisco as soon as Sunday. Uh, me and Jim and Sam. And then doing a week with uh, the Crypto Castle there and, and coming back and doing a week in Vegas and getting a, a nice big pile of man on the street videos. And, you know, it, it, it's hard in the studio to give you the, you know, I, obviously I can't give you examples of, you know, how to talk to zombies. But when I go out and do man on the street interviews, it's like here's, here's an actual zombie and how to, you know, pull them a little bit out of the matrix to, to thoroughly mix some metaphors here. Uh, you know, you guys get the point, and I, you know, maybe, maybe I need to like. I, I feel sometimes I feel bad, you know, dumbing things down for my audience, but it's like you need to hear the words that are going to work for the zombies and the statists, you know, and, and actually countering some of the most blatant propaganda. Anyway, your suggestions on this are always welcome, whether it's in live comments, emails to me, Adam at thefreedomline.com. Or especially if you're in our Telegram producers chat, those are the people I really listen to. You give us ten dollars a month on on Adam versus the or Patreon dot com slash Adam versus the man, or you win one of our contests. I mean, even today, we don't, we don't have any entries. I'm doing the Adam versus the man first ever live trivia show, and it's I, I mean I've got some really cool questions planned for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. The idea is you know you have to flash your answers written on screen. And the panel that we've got tomorrow for Cannabis in America. And, by the way, Jim's going to be back here in studio. We're going to have the bomb going around. I'm sorry, the water pipe, excuse me. We wouldn't dare. We wouldn't dare do anything that could possibly violate YouTube's community, whatever guidelines. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with this tomorrow. So, please, give me a t I mean, any really, if, if someone gives us a working title for this right now, you know, we get that out of today's episode so we can start promoting it tomorrow while we're doing the panel then uh, you can win membership in the ABTM Producers Club. So, Jim, with that, should we get back to the headlines? Yeah, I think so. All right. 
So from Yahoo Life, net gators may actually increase COVID-19 transmission study finds. And oh yeah, this is this is really central to the conversation right now and understanding how badly we have responded overall as a society and, and, you know, largely because we have allowed government to dominate the conversation and the decision-making process, how badly we have responded to what COVID-19 represents as a unique and very minor health threat, you know, like a funky off-season flu. And I imagine some people say that's not fair, Adam. Uh, you know, COVID-19 is, is probably going to be less deadly than the, the flu overall. Sure, yeah, but when some people are trying to blow it way out of proportion, it's important to maintain that perspective where the, the debate is now, you know, how does how how does it compare to the flu? But with a lot of these precautions, masks in particular, this is the flashpoint of the conversation. And we brought you the story last week with our interview with Ben Swan when he did a story on YouTube where he just cited three studies that showed masks do not prevent the spread of a flu-like virus in the actual best studies where we've had the side-by-side tests. And, you know, I'm looking at Drudge Report recently going, what the hell is going on? I, I have to think Drudge, something's happened. To, like, they got him. Like, he's been compromised. You know, he was largely responsible for getting Trump elected. Him and, and Alex Jones with InfoWars, uh, you know, really had a significant impact in pushing him over the top with the Electoral College. And now we see that Drudge Report is really going not just like the other way, and they're not he's not going like pro Democrat. He's not you know boosting Joe Biden, but he is promoting not just you know a, a survey of the mainstream media, but he is really in a selection promoting a dangerous mainstream media narrative here. And so the story that he shared the other day was what's it going to take for people to believe that masks work? And you go, well, gee, it's this whole other counter-propaganda wave that's kind of stopping us where we get to look at the science and go, maybe this wasn't the best policy. And when you lie to us and force it on us, yeah, we're going to be suspicious. And we're going to want to hear the other side. And right now the other side is pretty darn compelling. And you look at the science about masks, not only do they not prevent transmission, but they come with other health impacts that might be worse. And part of it is the the rebreathing. And I don't know. I don't think that's really a big one. Although one of the, I mean, it's not just, you know, you want to go, oh, we have to look at all the health consequences and externalities. And it's not just you, it's flattening the curve. Well, then you have to look at the idiots who, you know, who, who end up in the hospital because they wore a mask while jogging. And you go, oh my God. Yes, that's a thing now. And you have to, I mean, on a more serious note, you have to look at people who are committing suicide as a result of the lockdowns and the shutdowns and the stress and the social isolation that goes along with masks, where it's not just, hey, we'd like everybody to do this because we think it would be helpful. And if you want to do this to protect yourself, we recommend that you do it. But that, it, that it's coming out as a, a forced policy, where like we just showed you in Australia, you can get choked by cops on the street for not wearing a mask. So this story from Yahoo is not even from the perspective of questioning the core COVID-19 narrative for which you have to look at the stats and how they're being counted, how they're being reported. You have to take into account the fact, one, that the numbers themselves are inflated by the test because you have a one-third false positive rate in a lot of tests. When people get tested multiple times, 
You know, if you get tested three times with with a test that has a one-third false positive rate, even if you never had it, odds are at some point you just keep taking the test, eventually you're going to get a false positive. <sighs> and then there's the whole dying from versus dying with, right? There, you know, They attribute everybody who dies with the virus to dying of the virus when it's really just a common minor thing like, you know, HPV where, you know, 90% of sexually active American adults have it. And you said, well, everybody who died with it died from it. Oh, shit. All of a sudden it looks like HPV is killing millions of people. It's not. And and so this is being twisted and overhyped by a lot of people, whether or not there's a big conspiracy behind it. I don't think we can say decisively, but there are a lot of co-conspiracies working together in a sort of feeding frenzy of fear to take advantage of this in a lot of ways. There are a lot of people who have an interest in blowing up the threat. And then you got to take into account the people who are counted as cases just because they went to a doctor, the doctor didn't have a test, but they had symptoms. They said, oh, we're going to list it as COVID-19. They're going to tell the patient, hey, well, you know, we don't really know. But because we don't know, we don't have a test, we recommend you stay home and treat it like COVID. They go, okay, that's one thing. That makes sense. But then the doctor turns around and goes, ooh, COVID case. And then they get another $3,500 from the federal government. Oh, yeah, no shit. There's going to be a lot more COVID cases. And then there's the death counts where you you know had the case of a guy who died skydiving and because he tested positive for COVID. We're going to put down that he, he died of COVID right before he hit the ground. Yeah, okay, whatever. And taking all of that into account, you have to radically you know scale down the threat, but even if you accept it, you go, does this, what what works? Let's look at science and goes, what works for dealing with a virus like this, if it is all those things? And so this story from Yahoo starts with, the U.S. hit another grim milestone on Monday with more than 5 million Americans now effect, infected with the coronavirus. Although there is a push to increase testing and develop a vaccine, experts continue to suggest that if all Americans wore masks, the pandemic could be brought under control within weeks. In the spirit of that mission, a new study published in Science Advances is shedding light on which masks are most effective and which may actually be hurting the effort to curb COVID-19. The analysis carried out by researchers at Duke University School of Medicine relied on an optimal measurement method that uses a laser beam and cell phone camera to track the number of droplets that emerged from, emerged from an individual while he or she wore a mask. Of the 14 masks, the two that proved least effective were a bandana and what the researchers referred to as a neck fleece, also known as a neck gaiter. The most secure mask, the N95, led to a droplet transmission of below 0.1%, but handmade cotton and polypropylene masks, some of which were made from apron material, proved beneficial, showing a droplet transmission ranging from 10 to 40%. One mask, which was knitted, released a higher number of droplets with up to 60% droplet transmission, but none of the masks compared with the neck fleece which had 110% droplet transmission, 10% higher than not wearing a mask. And you go, wait, wait, what? How does it, it spreads more? Yeah, because it disperses the larger droplets into a multitude of smaller droplets, which explains the apparent increase in droplet count relative to no mask in that case. These small droplets could prove extremely dangerous in terms of transmission, quote, considering that smaller particles are airborne, longer than large droplets, uh, larger droplets sink faster, the use of such a mask might be counterproductive. Now, this doesn't even take into account all of the other obvious things, but this is just, it shows you that they, they, they jumped ahead in all of this without even knowing the science. 
And and that's really disturbing because it, it's not that they didn't even have the proof. And now people are scrambling to do all of these correlation studies. Well, look, at societies or you know, countries where they had mask mandates in effect, you know, had lower you know, transmission. And it's, it's core, you got to go, well, that's correlation, not causation, and, and separate these things because the better science that we have now is the stuff that uh, Ben Swan told us about that he put in his video that got taken down. And when the authorities are censoring science, you go, well, gee. And so maybe this is something that's poking through, getting out to the mainstream media, but even this study doesn't know. So they're not trying to tell you, I mean, this, this study, why is this getting out into the mainstream even now? It's because it supports the propaganda narrative of, you can't just have any mess, you have to have good mess and wear it properly. But they're not even doing the actual science that would prove that this is good policy, which is that it lowers the overall transmission of the virus in a you know, controlled setting and that it doesn't have higher negative economic or, I'm sorry, higher other health outcomes that come from wearing a mask. And so you have the, the rebreathing effect, which, you know, uh, it's more of a nuisance, but for some people, yeah, it is going to have a problem. You reduce someone's oxygen intake over a long period of time there are going to be other consequences. And, and just the irritation and, and, and perhaps slightly lower oxygen is, is going to make people, you know, more irritable at very least. But then there's the actual uh, thing that you have to study in terms of the effectiveness of the masks in the field, whereas this study is just looking at the droplet effect. And even there is showing that most masks are, are, are largely ineffective or insignificant. But they're not showing the in-the-field effect. Like I've told you from my experiences, like with Jim going out and shopping, going out with Sam, we've told you about the different experiences that we have had. And you see people walking around, they got the slave muzzle over their mouth, not their nose. Well, gee, how much are you reducing droplet transmission from regular breathing when you're not covering your nose? Well, unless you're a mouth breather, you're not reducing it at all. And then there's the effect of that you're touching your face and you're touching other things. If you have to wear a mask all the time when you're going out there, you know, if you're going to even recommend this as policy, as if you're an authority, you have to have had the science to back up this decision that says, that, that proves that you don't have a greater risk of transmitting even the virus you're trying to stop because of all the touching effects, right? That you're touching your face more, you're touching services. And then there's, you've got this wet, moist area in front of your face where there's a breeding ground for, for bacteria and viruses, and you don't take that into effect. And so the studies that we've seen show that when you look at those kinds of things, masks do not have even a worthwhile positive effect, let alone enough of a worthwhile effect that would outweigh the negative effect. And then there's so many other negative externalities that aren't even factored into this as consequences of the mask policy. And one of them is, and this might just be, hey, tough shit, it's too late right now. Wearing a mask is now normalized. Being out in public, and I'm all for the right, yes, you should have a right to, to travel in public and conceal your identity. But it, it should be something that, uh, you know, I mean, if it's not the norm, raises suspicion, right? You see someone wearing a mask in public, you go, well, why are you wearing a mask? And it, it sort of, in a world where no one is wearing a mask, a reasonable suspicion, you know, it combined with something else. Whereas, in, you know, in California, even recently before this, as we showed you the video of a couple of months ago, you could get arrested for a felony for appearing with a mask in public for concealing your identity. 
So now you see someone walking around with a kid with a mask. Do you go, well, is that kid being trafficked? Now you don't know. But there's so much else in terms of the externalities of this with the paranoia, with the disconnect, with the social isolation, with the increase in suicide, that those costs have to be factored in. Now, it's not just that. Our next story from DNYUZ.com in the wake of COVID-19 lockdowns, a troubling surge of homicides. Now, is this because of the mask? Not necessarily by itself. Probably a lot more connected to the shutdowns and the forced unemployment crisis that we're experiencing. This is from Kansas City, Missouri. It started with an afternoon stop at a gas station. Two customers began exchanging angry stares near the pumps outside, and no one can explain exactly why. That led to an argument and escalated quickly. So one of them pulled a gun, and they struggled over it, according to the police. As the wife of one of the men pleaded, stepping between them, there's too many shootings, please don't do this. By the time the fight was over at the station on Kansas City's east side late last month, the all-too-familiar crackle of gunfire pierced the humid air leaving another person dead in what has been an exceedingly bloody summer. The onset of warm weather nearly always brings with it a spike in violent crime, but with much of the country emerging from weeks of lockdown from the coronavirus, the increase this year has been much steeper than usual. Across 20 major cities, the murder rate at the end of June was on average 37% higher than it was at the end of May, according to Richard Rosenfeld, a criminologist at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. The increase over the same period a year ago was just 6%. In few places, as the bloodshed been more devastating than in Kansas City, where the city is on pace to shatter its record for homicides in a year, much of it has involved incidents of random angry violence, like conflict at the gas station, disputes between strangers that left someone dead, or killings that simply cannot be explained. They have claimed the lives of a pregnant woman pushing a stroller, a four-year-old boy asleep in his grandmother's home, and a teenage girl sitting in a car. They have also prompted a much-debated intervention from the federal government, an operation named after the four-year-old Kansas City boy, Legend Talaferro, that has sent federal law enforcement agents to at least six cities in an attempt to intervene. And, you know, there, there's a lot of translation needed in this story, you know, are they really attempting to intervene or using this as an excuse to intervene in order to have more federal control and, uh, you know, put more money and, and a stronger, strong arm behind government policy. Zerika Mosby said, whose niece, Diamond Eichelberger, 20, was the pregnant victim pushing the stroller in Kansas City, were surrounded by murder, and it's almost like your number is up, it's terrible. Uh, you know, nationally, crime remains at a generational low, and experts caution against drawing conclusions from just a few months. So this is right. It's still not bucking the general trend, but it doesn't mean we should accept this. It's just, oh, yeah, because corona, you know, people are being irritated and agitated, and there's going to be more of this and that and the other. But, no, we, we have to factor this in. And even this, you weigh against, you know, the, the corona deaths, and you go, no, no, the cure the is worse than the disease. I'm, I'm sick of this. You know, me, me, Adam versus the man. What, what, you know, I'm, I'm sick of covering stories like this that say the cure is worse than the disease. We have the science. We've been covering this for months, and we still have this dark cloud of coronaphobia, not the virus, but the fear and the lockdowns and the shutdowns 
hanging over all of society. I want to just, uh, what can I do to, to bat it away, to disperse it? And, and just, you know, bringing this narrative every day, we're hammering it home. Uh, you know, the Mark Twain, maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. It's, it's easier to fool someone that it can, than to convince them that, that they have been fooled. Well, right now, that's the situation we find ourselves in with the coronaphobia pandemic. And, and people are finding their way out. Uh, one way or another, I, I think slowly but surely, I, I do take, uh, you know, hope from looking at the news overall. And, and I hate to have to keep bringing these stories to everybody. Look, the cure is worse than the disease. No, it's wrong. And, and we're, I'm going to keep doing this. You know, even though I'm kind of, I hope you're not sick of it because, you know, we, and, and I hope you, you, as I take on the sort of editorial responsibility of giving everybody this, this big counter narrative to the mainstream media, that, that, you know, you and the audience take the responsibility of being people who are in the know to say, yeah, we have to spread this counter narrative for the good of humanity right now because the mainstream narrative is getting people killed. And now uh, there's another thing we have some hope for is that when a virus is used as the excuse, a vaccine could always just burst the bubble entirely, even if it's a bullshit vaccine. Uh, you know, and it could be very dangerous. There's a lot of threats of forced vaccination, specters being raised that could be, uh, you know, another case where the cure is way worse than the disease. But at least it takes away the government's excuse for the lockdowns and shutdowns, at least until the virus mutates, which it already has, and they are able to use it as some new excuse. But it's worth covering the story from the Associated Press. Russia's approval of virus vaccine greeted with some alarm. And, the you know, the big sort of uh, credibility to the stories that uh, Vladimir Putin has given the vaccine to his daughter. Why not himself yet? Who knows? From Moscow, Russia on Tuesday became the first country to approve a coronavirus vaccine for use in tens of thousands of its citizens, excuse me, despite international skepticism about injections that have not completed clinical, clinical trials and were studied in only dozens of people for less than two months. So not going to get in-depth into this story today, but definitely worth knowing that that's where we are with this. Now, for a little peek behind the curtain that is just so blatantly public in its propaganda now, we go to the New York Post. Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank boss Neil Kashkari, hard shutdown can save economy. Locking the country down really hard for a period of several weeks could save the economy from long-term pain, the president of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank said Sunday. Now, really hard. How are we going to give it to the American people really hard? If they bend over and let us give it to them right where we want it, how are we going to give it to them really hard? When we're going to shut down the economy and reboot it, how do we want to shut it down really hard? Oh, God. How do we want to make it for Americans struggling right now really hard? You know, who is this, right? The president of one of the uh, branches of the Federal Reserve System, not exactly, uh, you know, the big kahuna as the chair, but certainly a credible source here. What's, he, what's his incentive? What's his motivation? He runs the, a, a chunk of the mainstream American banking system of the fiat currency of the U.S. dollar. What's his motivation? To keep the super rich getting richer and the rest of us getting poorer. So when someone like this says, we need something, you go, okay, we need the opposite. You know, nine times out of ten, or when you look at what they're what they're really advocating for, when it's uh, you know more centralized control, more central planning, you know that's what they're advocating for. 
In an interview with CBS Face the Nation, Neil Kashkari said that the only way to have a real, robust economic recovery is to quash the flare-ups of the coronavirus that continue to pop up across the country. Shutting things down for a month or six weeks would allow the nation's case count to get low enough that the government's testing and contact tracing efforts could effectively contain future spreading, Kashkari said, adding that if serious action isn't taken, the country will have this raging virus spreading with flare-ups and local lockdowns for the next year or two. And he knows what he's doing, and, and I want to go back and remind you just briefly of what we've covered as the commercial real estate crisis that America is going through right now, that it's been going through for months, because when the lockdown started, even just being locked down for a period of weeks sent a lot of businesses over the edge or at least into hibernation. For a lot of small business owners, it was just, there's no way we can afford the rent. And then they, you saw, and we covered this in Florida where, you know, on, on the commercial coast, whatever, uh, on the east coast of Florida, that you could just drive up and down and see for sale, for lease signs on all, all sorts of commercial properties because, you know, it's, it's everything retail was taking a huge hit. And what that meant was that the landlords even couldn't pay their rent. And so a lot of those commercial properties went up for sale. And then the price of commercial real estate went off the cliff. And so the result of that was that who had cash? Who had cash lying around? Well, gee, friends of bankers. And if you didn't have it laying around, who could print it for you? Oh, the bankers. Yeah, fractional reserve banking. You can create money out of thin air. Federal Reserve overnight lending window. You can create money out of thin air, lend it to the banks that they can then go lend out and uh, to, to, to their friends, their, their main financial interests. And that money is multiplied. The rich get much, much richer. The rich, super rich get much, much richer. And the poor get much, much poorer. The actual effect of this is a consolidation of wealth and power. Who's bind up? So, this is like, literally, and, and, and this is why, and this is a fake quote from Jefferson, by the way, but it's quite prescient regardless, that if you allow uh, central banks to control the money supply, uh, well, I fear that our, uh, our, our, uh, our, our descendants will wake up homeless on the continent their forefathers conquered. And you go, yeah, well, that's what's happening. Homelessness is going up. We're seeing a surge in that. We've covered those stories. And it's just, you know, another measure of the tragedy of this and the homelessness. But it, who's going to own stuff? We're all going to be renters. And if that wasn't the case already with, you know, the modern system of how do you buy a house and it, it, it's, you know, a lease, a mortgage, whatever the case may be, you don't own it. And even if you do, you're paying property taxes to government. This is not freedom. This is not real home ownership. So when he says we want to shut down, what is Neil Kashkari actually saying? He's saying, hey, let's go back to that. Let's, let's get everybody inside their homes. Let's lock everything down so that people are desperate. So that, you know, and like even right now, I have a friend who, who's trying to get here to Gardenia, who wants to make the leap to live off grid. He's trying to sell a car. This is a really hard time to sell a car. I mean, this is people, if people aren't just dipping into their savings, they're dipping into those assets. You know, there are a lot of Americans who just, oh, they got a second car. Oh, they got a beater car laying around or, or whatever it is. They're trying to, they're, they're trying to liquidate. Now, there's another story that you could, you could find by just, tracking prices and, and looking at the stories and analyzing what's on Craigslist. If you don't know what Craigslist is, it's, it's, it's just a big website for uh, it's, you know, basically uh, internet classified ads. It's, it's, it's the best dominant simple system for that, uh, you know, and broken up into cities and, and areas. I use it. It's great. And you can already see that there are trends shifting. 
So uh, back to you know Neil Kaskari quote here. We're going to see many, many more business bankruptcies, small businesses, big businesses, and that's going to take a lot of time to recover from, to rebuild those businesses, and then to bring workers back in and re-engage them in the workforce. He added, that's going to be a much slower recovery for all of us. The U.S. And you know, we know what you're doing, Neil. We know what you're doing, and it's sick. It's really sick. The U.S. economy last week suffered its worst blow since the Great Depression with the nation's gross domestic, uh, gross domestic product GDP, the value of all goods and services produced here, 9.5% smaller in the second quarter than the first. That is a huge contraction where you expect consistent growth. More than 25 million Americans lost the $600 per week jobless payment bonus introduced at the height of the coronavirus crisis in March. And we're not at the height of the crisis yet because the coronavirus crisis is not the coronavirus crisis. It's the coronaphobia crisis, the government response crisis. After lawmakers failed to come to an agreement on the benefits, Democrats wanted to expand the $600 bonus until the first quarter of 21, but the White House and Republicans are advocating for a $200 payment, arguing the current rate is too high and discourages Americans from returning to work and blah, blah, blah. Look at us, political clowns, be distracted. In the interview, Kashkari said that while he did think the $600 bonus could be a disincentive at some point, it would still be helpful now while tens of millions are out of work because he wants people to accept this. As he said, quote, there's just so many fewer jobs than there are workers available. Yeah, no kidding. It's designed that way. Quote, when we get the unemployment rate eventually back down to 5% and we want to get it back down to 4% or 3.5% where it was before, yes, that disincentive to work becomes material. Now, again, the employment thing, he's, he's, mean, he's back, to, back to the jobs. Jobs. I think that's our jobs. No, it's why? Why jobs? Because what is a job? Well, the way they're measuring it, they want full employment. They want full wage slavery. This is the objective. The goal should not be 100% employment, but 100% retirement and wealth and financial independence. And that is what is being robbed from us. And the potential for small businesses is being robbed from us right before our very eyes right now. What does it mean when banks go back to owning all the real estate? They go back. They come to own all the commercial real estate. You can't own a small business. You can't start a small business without permission of the bank. Even restaurants. Most of them don't own their business, their, their buildings, and Donald Trump came out and said it directly. Well, don't worry. They'll come back just under new ownership. Well, that's across the board. This is the shutdown and the reboot of the economy come to life. And when this mother fricker, Neil Kashkari, is he just coming out, this is the Minneapolis Federal Reserve President and CEO, Neil Kashkari, just blatantly in the open saying we need a really hard shutdown to save the economy. It, you should be able to see through this and know what he's really talking about. All right, I told you we'd get a little more into this Hong Kong story, so at least we'll, we'll get into enough to get to some understanding quickly before we check in with our comments and give you the good news to, to wrap up today's show. From CNBC.com, Hong Kong media tycoon Jimmy Lai arrested newsroom search. Hong Kong authorities broadened their enforcement of a new national security law on Monday, arresting media tycoon Jimmy Lai, searching the headquarters of his next digital group and carting away boxes of what they said was evidence. In the evening, police also arrested prominent pro-democracy activist Agnes Chow Ting at her home, according to a tweet by fellow activist. Nathan Law, who is currently in Britain, a post on Chow's official Facebook page said police had arrived at her home 
and that her lawyers were rushing to the scene. Lies arrest in the search of his next digital group marked the first time the law was used against news media soaking fears that authorities are suppressing press freedom. They already were. We knew that. Next, Digital operates Apple Daily, a feisty pro-democracy tabloid that often condemns China's Communist Party-led government. Now, you know, we're not going to stop this by talking about it on Adam versus the man. But part of what I've, I've always brought to this perspective and what I try to share with people here is that global perspective. And I, I, I do think the story is worth following what's going on in Hong Kong right now. This story in and of itself is not the crux of the story, but Beijing taking over Hong Kong, that is. And what's happening post the handover from the British government of this as a territory and the Chinese government now and the virus, this is a really important story for uh, the, the, the sake of, of human history to see how all of these narratives combine, where you have what was happening in Hong Kong before Corona happened. And it was, you know, I'm not saying, oh, this was all obviously, therefore, some singular big conspiracy to squelch the, the riots and, and protests in Hong Kong against the, the Beijing takeover, demanding at least a preservation of some autonomy and freedom for the people of Hong Kong. Um, but that was certainly an incentive for for the Chinese government to blow up the uh, the virus threat. We saw that they did that. We saw that in the manipulation of the numbers. And I, I hope that the world is able to keep its attention on Hong Kong, what's going on there. The suppression of media in China, even in Hong Kong, it's not like as you know, you know, it was free relative to China, but certainly. In the protests that we saw, there was a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that America should be jealous of. You know, there were pictures, and I remember this, of, of Hong Kong freedom activists protesting, you know, in, in civil disobedience, waving American flags. And the meme for getting around American social media was, America, be the United States that Hong Kong thinks you are. And it's like, yeah, we're really not living up to this. So. Following this in the bigger narrative, I am definitely keeping up with that, and you can trust us here at Adam vs. the Man, and with the help of all of our great editorial assistants in the Adam vs. the Man Producers Club on uh, on Telegram, making sure that we keep up with this story in Hong Kong and the intersections with all of the bigger uh, stories happening around it with the virus and, and so on and so forth. Uh, story I got to touch on as a, as a fun aside, if you want to watch some bad cop porn that really does border on porn. Check this story out from TMZ.com. Acrobat Sam Panda busted by thong police in Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I point, I, this is just, there are two cops, put her in cuffs, no masks, and, then, and this is Florida. I'm sorry, no, sorry, not, this is Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. What are we, is it North Carolina? Man, I, now I'm like, wait, I should have prepared for this story better. No, I read this. I watched the video. There's a 20-minute video from her channel on this. And it was because, according to the Myrtle Beach police, the initial call was a report of two women who were wearing thong bikinis and a see-through top that were dancing and soliciting videos on the beach. Uh, cops say Sam tried to walk away, which is why she was detained. But after the ordinance was explained, the ladies agreed to cover up and were released without charges. 
So in this case, you know, being being there with a camera, they were able to talk the police out of this. But it's just your tax dollars at work, ladies and gentlemen. You know, if you if you really think uh, this is, uh, I mean, I, you in in America right now, you can get arrested for not wearing a mask, and you can get arrested. For not for, for wearing a swimsuit that's too revealing at the beach by cops not wearing masks. By the way, uh, the TMZ story says actually BT Dubs. If Sam Panda looks or sounds familiar, it's because he went viral a few years ago for suffering a broken neck in a scary accident when a rig malfunctioned during one of her acrobatic stunts. Fortunately, she survived the fall and after a couple surgeries, she made a full recovery and got back to performing. So. Before we get to the good news and wrap things up, let's check in with comment Jim Freedom coming to us from Phoenix again today. Jim, any uh, any good comment, anything we're sharing? Do we have anybody with a name for the Adam versus the Man trivia game today? A name for, well, we got some trivia question suggestions in the comments. Uh, how does the devils let us know when to start flowering? <laughs> Uh, do you play music for your plants? If so, what are your choices to soothe your crop? Well, this, uh, these are more like practical. Those are good practical questions for like an interview. And I, I guess right. if I may, just, I, I know the like what makes them flower. It's a shift in the light patterns from summer to fall, where they go from flower or where they go from the vegetative state to the flowering state. And if you're growing completely indoors, when you have your clippings and your baby plants, you keep them in light you know, at least 16 hours a day, if not more, you can go 24 hours a day and then they have maximum flower, uh, 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 vegetative capability and they grow out and you can create plants of whatever size and shape you want. And then you alter the light cycle to just eight hours a day or less uh, or 12 hours or less, different schools of thought of different, you know, but basic concept is you reduce it to seasonally to trigger the plants into flowering. And then that that triggers them into uh, growing buds on the existing vegetative structure. That's a lot to write down on a whiteboard for a trivia game, right? Not yeah, exactly yeah. Trivia. And then what was the other, what was the other one? Uh, playing music. Um, yeah, now, see, what that, music? that actually that actually would. Now let me. I'm going to write that one down because we can turn that into a fun trivia uh, question. For where do I have it? Yeah, I have, I have, I have my notes here. Cannabis panel questions um yeah what music what music do you play that was Vince w yeah to grow the most potent medicine yeah how about that what what medicine do you play what music do you play cannabis to grow the most potent medicine uh yeah so we'll, we'll have some fun with that that'll be a a best answer rather than first right answer question for tomorrow we can incorporate that one but nobody's got a name? Even right now, right now, if you're watching live, just what do you call the Adam versus the man free, live freedom trivia game tomorrow for our Cannabis 2020 panel? Um, we're going to have pretty much, I mean, they're like either related or, or all drug war, uh, you know, cannabis related type questions. Right. But you know, we're gonna have different ones for different panels. When, you know, I want to do this every Wednesday. You know, tomorrow's kind of a big day for us, seeing you know how we pull this off. But uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it. Marcus is doing a great job getting guests booked right now. 
but I, I want a fun name. I could, I just totally drew a blank on this. Like the Freedom Privy, like everything I came up with is just stupid and boring and straightforward. Yeah, so, yeah, I we're going to have to outsource the name of that. While, while people are, uh, well, here's one, Canna Quiz. Wait, wait, wait. How about this? Adam versus the panel trivia game. Maybe, okay, that's, that's still pretty dumb. But maybe M. Zooter, M. Zooter says Canna Quiz. Ah, but that, that only works for tomorrow. I want to. Uh, it's that's good. That's but you know, as a general title, Adam Canna versus you the guess. trivia. Can it what? Can you guess? All right. Is that it? Is that all we're getting for wisdom from the audience today? So Should I wrap far, this up? Yeah, there's a 30 second delay. You got to remember. So they're just now hearing that, and they're just yeah. now typing in their answers. All right, 30 seconds. And there's been, a, there's been at least, I think it was two or three people that have randomly found their way into the chat and wondered if the guy in the hole is still alive. <laughs> so CJ created a ticker at the bottom that's letting random people know that the guy in the hole is still alive and you are watching him right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, the guy in the fighting hole. That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're probably going to get pinged for copyright infringement from our own video by playing that clip, right? Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm well, surprised how many people come in and mention that. Like, almost every day there's at least some one person that says, I just got recommended your video because I was watching the fighting hole video. It's crazy. Oh, that's crazy, but that's awesome. Yeah, we are getting to just and, – and, man, I'm I'm – again, I'll just say I am so thrilled with the – consistency and the formula and the team and the audience that we've got right now. And we haven't, I haven't done much work on focusing on growth, right? We're really just kind of relying on, we're putting out consistent content and existing social media and, and Jim freedom interacting with the audience. But when, you know, when we get organized, you know, and I've been, I got, man, I still got to get our website with the freedom line fixed, but for now you can go to Adam versus Got a lot of organizational stuff that we want to take care of. But the audience is growing. We're getting to that synergistic point on YouTube where 3,400 – just yesterday, when you looked at new subs, new subscribers in the last 28 days, 3,406. Yeah. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome. And it's not where we're making money. And someone's – it's individual videos getting demonetized one at a time. It's, it's, really, it's really messed up how, how YouTube is doing us wrong right now with their system. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because – it's it's flagging us automatically. Maybe it's people flagging our videos because they don't like libertarianism, but uh, they don't like freedom. Believe it or not, there are people out there who don't like freedom. So that being said, thank you. One Jim. more, one more guess. One wheel more. of freedom. There's no wheel. All right, we need prizes too. If someone wants to donate a prize, I'll just sign off with this. If someone wants to donate a prize for uh, Adam versus the trivia to give away to our panel. It'd be nice. And you get, you get a little free advertising out of it for, uh, you know, whatever your business is or your social media, something like that. Anything fun. We'll take it for tomorrow. Send me an email, Adam at the freedomline.com. All right. To the good news to wrap things up. Good news network.org on this day in 1858, the Iger in the Bernie's Alps was ascended for the first time by Charles Barrington, accompanied by Christian Almer, Pete, Peter Boren, who climbed the West face. Uh, yeah. Man conquering nature. That's a 10. Babe Ruth became the first baseball player to hit 500 career home runs in League Park, Cleveland on this day in 1929. Yeah, good news. Athletic achievement. Although, you know, as, as, a, as a socialist, I would really want those home runs to be distributed more equally. Uh, yeah, so, 
and sarcasm, obviously. On this day in 1944, the city of Florence was liberated from Nazi occupation by Canadian and British troops in Italy. Yes, 100% good news, scaling back invasions and destruction of war. And also good news, on this day in 1960, Chad declared its independence. But it gets even better, because on this day in 1972, the last U.S. ground combat unit departed South Vietnam. And it gets even better with technology because it was on this day in 1981, the IBM PC, an early personal computer, was introduced. Yes. And with that being said, that's our show. Thank you so much for watching. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. And as always... (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.